Howard Cox. London matters and needs reform. The official podcast of the Reform UK candidate for Mayor of London. And this is your opportunity to put your questions to Howard Cox. Let's dive straight in then, Howard. Uh, This is from Steve in Fulham. He says, I'm new to politics, but I've never been more fired up about what is happening on the streets of the capital. I know little about the candidates, particularly yourself. Can you tell me more, Howard? Yeah. (laughs) This is like an episode of This Is Your Life. I I don't know. And it's one of the worst things in the world is about talking about yourself. Of course it is. On a serious note, like yourself, Steve, I'm passionate about what's happening in London and the decline of our very fabric of the economy, our safety, all those sorts of things. It's just piled up in my inbox of, of my campaigning for motorists and drivers for 15 years. People said, please, uh, for God's sake, can you go and get rid of this careerist, ego-driven politician who's the current mayor of London? And what we're seeing is exactly what I just alluded to, is that drivers are being used as cash cows. The whole of the infrastructure in terms of road user transport is snarled up. I think we're the slowest uh, moving road user infrastructure in, in the world at the moment in time. And yet we're the 12th cleanest city in the world. So the use of actually things like ultra low emission zones or known as ULES being introduced right across greater London, you know, laudably, you know, on the face of it to reduce pollution, uh, emissions from vehicles, older vehicles, etc. On the face of it, you think it's a good idea, but that is not working. It's not making any difference whatsoever. All it's doing is hurting small businesses, genuine people going about their daily business or people like who are going to the high street in London, etc., the shop or going to the hospital, all those sorts of things are being impacted. And it's mainly the people on low incomes and small businesses being hurt, hit hardest. So I feel passionate about this. And with my background of 15 years of actually campaigning for Fair Fuel UK, and if you don't know, Steve, I've actually managed to get fuel duty frozen in that time for 15 years. In fact, we got a 6p cut. If it hadn't been for the campaigning of Fair Fuel UK, the campaign I founded, we were probably paying 50p to even a pound more at the pumps per litre. Yeah. And imagine what that would have done to our wonderful burgeoning economy. <laughs> I mean, it's fair to say there aren't many candidates for any election, really, that come with a very convincing, authentic backstory of campaigning. And you have, even if somebody isn't going to vote for you, they'd have to acknowledge that actually over the last decade and a half, uh, you've been pressing the flesh. You've met the big politicians, the cabinet ministers, the prime ministers, the head honchos of organisations. You've kind of almost dedicated your entire life to precisely that. So you're not exactly new to the terrain of a campaign. It's very kind of you to say that. The thing that's important to understand is that back in 2010, when I set up Fairfield UK, and when we had Cameron just coming in, Osborne was the, George Osborne was the uh, chancellor, uh, we were going to have increases in, in our petrol in terms of fuel duty of incredible proportions, something like 2 to 3p every year plus inflation. And that would have absolutely collapsed our economy. We would have been in a massive recession if we continued that way because every single thing that happens in your office or that you have or work on a desk or something like that or all your furniture, all those things, once arrived on a truck. And those people, you know, in our logistics industry right across the country are the commercial heartbeat of our economy. And even more so recently, the Minister of Energy has finally actually adopted one of my other ideas, which is 
uh, not just the actual trying to you know keep fuel duty at a reasonable level, uh, but also um, to stop the opportunistic profiteering in the fuel supply chain. We all know how pump prices vary just 100 metres apart in different garages and things. Why should that be? It doesn't happen with any other commodity. And so uh, the, the government are actually in, uh, adopting a thing called Pump Watch, which is my idea. I'm delighted they're yep. doing that. So going back to what you're saying, Ian, the government listened to me. And you can't really ask for more than that in terms of succeeding on what you set out to do. Whether they act is another matter at times. As you that's that's very that. true. That is yeah. very true. Uh, this comes from Nikki in Hackney. He says, why is Susan Hall not the person for the job? Surely you have so much in common. I mean, you were a conservative, Howard. You've said that out loud uh, many times. Why isn't she the person? She's the Tory candidate, for those who don't know. Yeah, Susan Hall, I know her quite well. In fact, before I announced my candidacy in May of last year, she was all, all over me like a rash to help her in terms of actually trying to fight the ULES expansion, which laudably she was doing quite a good job in terms of talking about it, but stopping it actually taking place. She was an abject failure, and that's my point about I'm not, it's nothing personal in this whatsoever, but they've been in opposition for eight years, allowing Sadiq Khan to virtually drive London to do a standstill and into economic decline. They let him establish a huge debt, a mammoth budgetary deficit, and they've even allowed him to ignore public consultation results. You may say, well, they're in opposition, they can't do much about it. Yes, they could, because what happens with Sadiq Khan, he's actually told lies, what we breathe, etc. Those were all lies. Even the Advertising Standards Authority have actually picked him up on that sort of thing. His deputy mayor has actually paid money to try and get the right results from Imperial College to prove ULES would work and that sort of thing. He manipulated the public consultation agreement process, all those sorts of things to get the results. And despite two out of three not wanting the ULES expansion, it still went ahead. He ignored that completely. And in that point, the Tories should have actually gone legal. They should have spoken to lawyers and said, we can't have a person that's in high office like this been voted by people. He should have been challenged in the courts. And they didn't do any of that. And that's the reason why I've decided to stand, even though I am deep down a true Thatcherite Tory. This from Paul, he says, I saw Sadiq Khan urging the government to ban zombie knives this week. Do you agree with him? But more importantly, isn't it a bit rich coming from a man who's presided over so much knife crime? Well, we understand since he's been actually in office, there's something like a, a thousand stabbings. And, you know, we, we all know about some of the, the, the headline sort of uh, deaths that have come, particularly in young people. Oh, of course, he's a hypocrite in all this sort of thing. It, we're in a year of an election. He's coming out with a lot of opportunistic statements. He's even allowing people to drive taxi cabs, you know, the Uber-type drivers. They don't need to speak English, and uh, they can also have a criminal record driving around. How would you like that, getting in the back of an Uber, knowing that? One is you have to explain exactly where you're going because they don't understand you. And secondly, they could have a criminal record. He's, he's a hypocrite beyond belief in terms of what he's trying to do. I don't understand why he has still got some uh, semblance of popularity because every person I talk to, every single person in London I talk to, has no time for him whatsoever. This from Denny in Heathrow. What is your take on that school in East London that's had to hire private security after a mob of parents got upset when kids were told they couldn't wear Palestinian badges? Uh, this has gone completely out of control, Howard. Absolutely right. I mean, guys, I, I, I'm in my 70th year, and I, I always remember coming home from school. I had to give a letter to my father because uh, I've been a naughty boy at school. And my father immediately said, well, what did the teacher do? He said, well, they put me in detention or something like that. And uh, he said, good, you deserve it. 
I said, but dad, it wasn't my fault. I don't care. If the teacher says it's right, it's right. And this is the problem at the moment. Teachers themselves, there's there's two types of teacher in my opinion. One that have, in terms of spreading wokery, the new word of actually, in other words, we must adhere to all the things, everything from net zero through to gender assignment and all those sorts of things. From my point of view, education, the teachers should be allowed to teach. And if a person comes in with uh, something that is actually a political thing like a flag, and let's face it, every you go around London, I see more Palestinian flags than I see the St George's Cross. And, and it's very, very sad by this. And I think now having to hire security, which obviously is at taxpayers' expense again, just to, to take on someone who wants to actually promote something that's nothing to do with us in this country, I think it, it, it is disgusting. Uh, here's a question from Ken. Are 15-minute cities a conspiracy theory or something very real? And should they bother us? We hear a lot about these things. What is a 15-minute city? <laughs> well, the aim is, I think, comes from things like the World Economic Forum. I think they're meeting in, the, in this, when I'm recording this thing, in Davos at the moment. Um, and it's a group of multi-millionaires or even billionaires t- telling us how we should run our lives. Actually, the principle of a 15-minute city makes sense in terms of all the amenities are close to you within a 15-minute of your home or, your, or where you live. Uh, those sort of things make sense. But it, it's just not practical. And it's also trying to actually hem us into one space. And I think conspiracy theory may be a bit uh, strong, but I do think there is some sinister undertones of actually what this means. Yes, of course it means it would be nice to have facilities, but you couldn't do that in reality because you can't get all facilities within 15 minutes. Yeah, you imagine you'd have to have about 100 more hospitals everywhere, 500 more schools, doctor surgery. I mean, how would you that even work practically well we've got to be sensible in this sort of thing we've got a lot of people spouting ideals and some of them i think you know are generally meant you know to try and improve our, our lives and our societies but most of them are actually based on the fact we've got a lot of rich people telling us how we should live our lives and i will fight that tooth and nail to prevent that happening in london this from jenna who says who are you most keen to beat howard the lib dems or the greens both of their candidates look about as inspiring as a hoover <laughs> Well, some Hoovers do pick up a lot of dirt. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm quite a fan of the Dyson. Frankly, but that's another story. It's interesting because uh, I, I repeat my point about they have been notionally in opposition against Sadiq Khan, but they've always teamed up the Lib Dems and the Greens with all his policies so they can get them through. So they are guilty for ke- get keeping this very dishonest mayor in post. And so... I don't mind them. At the moment, as I understand it, in some private polling we're doing, I can't give you the full details, but I'm definitely third. I'm, I'm rocketing up the old league table quite fast, I understand. And poor old Susan Hall is coming down, especially after some of her car crash interviews she's had recently. Yeah, they, they, they've not been... Um... They've not been great. No. Uh, and final one from Len. He says, as a London black cab driver, what will you do about the current obsession with 20 mile an hour speed limits? Which I think, is this due to be rolled out across the entire city? Is there some story around that? I, I understand that is going to happen. I mean, obviously, it's part of the anti-driver, anti-motorist policies, etc. And, uh, you know, talking to all taxi drivers I speak to, that that is the bane of their life. And it's important to understand if you get a speeding fine or whatever you want to call it, a PCN for going 23 mile an hour and a 20 mile an hour limit, you get three points. If you get six points as a taxi driver, they take away your license and your business is ruined. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So in answer to the question, 20 mile an hour limits have their place where we need them outside schools, particularly primary schools, other areas. we Let's stick to the right speed limit, which is 30. Uh, but having said that, when you go 
20 mile an hour on something like a dual carriageway in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, that they should be removed too. It's, it's just absolutely absurd. And one of the things I will be introducing will be there is currently uh, a, a cycling czar under Sadiq Khan's uh, uh, reign. Uh, I will be introducing a road user czar. And their job is actually to basically make it fair for all road users, that cyclists as well, all the way up to truckers. And one of their first jobs to do is actually to make sure the speed limits on all roads in London are the right speed limits for the suitable circumstances that those uh, roads exist. Maybe you're missing a trick here, Howard. Maybe you need a unicycle czar. <laughs> so you can, yep, you can ride a bike, but it can only have one wheel. <laughs> I think that will. Yes, that would be. But I mean, think of firstly the entertainment value. So uh, we we don't have that at the moment. Um, And, you know, journeys will be halved. I think a lot of cyclists would like that. Oh, well, I'd look forward to you, and you and I going down the, the, the M40, so we say, on a unicycle. Yeah. That'd be a bit of a giggle, wouldn't it? Yeah, there's something in that. The visuals kind of work for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, we'll speak again in seven days. Thank you very much, Ian. It's very kind of you. Take care. That is it for this episode. Make sure you join us again next week. In the meantime, follow Howard on social media. That's at Howard C. Cox, at Howard C. Cox. And do make sure you send your questions in ready for the next episode.